You are listening to Pod Save the Rest of Us. Thank you for tuning in. Easy going, easy come. Where'd you get your info from? I found mine on Reuters. Fact-checked by three sources that were fact-checked for biases and are equal opportunity employers. All right. Hey, before we get started, let's hear from one of our sponsors. Parents and Guardians. Is your child finding it difficult to meet today's seemingly infinite academic demands? We have a solution for you. Our sponsor, the JEI Learning Center, believes that all children have unlimited learning potential. JEI's worldwide scientific educational system provides a learning program based on each child's individual needs and ability. The JEI Learning Center effectively meets your child's academic needs with well-qualified instructors, combined with a proven method and low student-to-instructor ratio, thus making JEI the best option for your child's educational needs. Given that JEI is aligned with state and common core curriculum, the JEI system is your solution to end your child's struggles or to advance your child in math, reading, and language arts. Visit our sponsor at www.jeilearning.com. For those near Santa Clara and Livermore, Make sure to ask for the Pod Save the Rest of Us discount. Sign up today and begin to carve out the future your child deserves. Welcome back to Pod Save the Rest of Us. We are your hosts, Elizabeth Stanley and Karen Castro. We have been working in the off-season to bring you stories of 10 vastly different women who through their resiliency, have beaten the odds and nevertheless persisted. We walked away from these interviews feeling inspired. We hope you do too. If you like the episode, please subscribe, rate, and review us and help us get these stories out into the world. Enjoy the episode. Ernest Hemingway once wrote, You can be broken in life. Everyone is broken but after which some people are stronger in the broken places. As I was listening to Stephanie's story, Hemingway's words began to really resonate with me. You see, Stephanie has been broken, but she is also strong, and in so many ways, one could only hope to be. It is through her strength she shares her story and helps others to heal. We are fortunate to have Stephanie remind us that healing is possible, but so is forgiveness, I hope you enjoyed this episode, Resiliency After Abandonment. Um, so a little bit about myself. I grew up in San Jose, California. I have one mother, father, and an older sister. We're about 11, 11 and a half years apart. Um, and my parents remained married until I was about six years old. But during um, the formative years, there's a lot of dysfunction, a lot of arguments. Um, my parents had a pretty nasty divorce, which caused a lot of turmoil amongst our, um, our family members, extended family, and then within our immediate family as well. Um, I felt oftentimes I had to choose between who I loved the most, my mother, my father, who I wanted to live with. So being six years old, it felt very challenging. I felt very torn and I felt a lot of shame and guilt knowing that sometimes I want to be with my mom and sometimes I really want to be with my father. And ultimately having to decide. 
But the decision was kind of made for me. Um, I ended up living with my mother, which that's ultimately who I wanted to live with since my father had um, a relationship with another woman and she had family of her own. So I felt more comfortable with just my mom. So at that time, I was living with my mom probably around age seven. My sister was living with us on and off as well. Um, and growing up with my mom for the first couple of years was fine. She had her boyfriend, um, who she actually um, met while she was married with my father. And that was kind of what caused the divorce. But um, there was basically a lot of history of infidelity amongst uh, my father as well that wasn't revealed until several years later. Um, but my mother was living with a uh, man named Les, and for the most part, I felt like he was an okay man. Uh, my dad would always try to put me against him, though, would always say that he's a bad person, and I, I guess I started to believe that, but and in my heart, I always felt like he never did anything wrong to me. But I remember my sister and my dad always saying, oh, he's a bad person, he's going to do this, he's going to do that, just to instill fear and doubts and I believe to cause more turmoil uh, with my mother. So eventually I started to despise him. I was like, I don't like him. He's a bad person. And so these are probably the ages of maybe seven through like 10. And I wasn't, but I really, nothing really affected me per se. Like he never was inappropriate with me. Um, but I just noticed that my mom and him would have a lot of arguments. There were a lot of scenarios in Stephanie's young life where violence was present. There's been history of um, violence. I've witnessed a lot of violence amongst my family members. Um, and I was always just kind of a bad bystander, just observing everything and also learning from that, knowing that I never wanted to engage in those type of behaviors and be a part of that. But I felt also really bad and hopeless because I was like, I felt like I was so young and I had no opportunity to really make a difference within the family dynamics. So I just ended up being quiet and being still and watching TV and playing with my dolls and just isolating for the most part. In addition to the violence in her core household, violence stemmed from the extended family as well. Family violence has been like systematic thing within my family for generations. Um, with my grandparents on my dad's side and even witnessing my uncle threaten um, my grandmother or being under the influence and threatening my dad that he was going to kill him. And I was probably same between the ages of five and eight. He was in and out of prison all the time. So when I visit my family, they're like, great, is my uncle going to show up and just, you know, threaten to steal things from us, threaten my dad, even threaten my sister, rob from us. Um, so being around all that violence um, and just feeling really unsafe at all times with being in your own family. Um, was really hard to accept and I just like man like I felt so stuck I remember having stomach pains all the time which now I, I know there are like somatic symptoms like anxiety but I used to have stomach pains I didn't want to eat when I was in those type of type of environments and I just remember like wanting to be gone and then my dad because I'd be visiting my dad during these times that like don't tell anything to your mom I'm gonna get in trouble she can never know so it was always about you have to keep these secrets I had to always I always felt like they were splitting me, like, oh, your mom can't know about this or your dad can't know about this. And so anytime they did something wrong or I witnessed something really bad, they're like, no one can know about it um, because I'm going to get in trouble or this, this and that. So I always felt like I had to keep a secret and hold it for them 
even though I was never able to process it or even talk to anybody about it. Like, don't tell your teachers, don't tell anybody. And um, so I wouldn't, I'd keep my mouth shut. And I felt like that was a good, like, that was the one thing I was able to do was, I don't want to get hit. I don't want to get threatened. So I need to keep my mouth shut. I need to be compliant. I need to do what I'm told. And so I had that mindset for a very long time. And I realized like that is extremely dysfunctional. It's not okay. Um, and I started to have a voice. And so having a voice to me is part of resiliency is able to speak out and not to have that fear that, um, you know, if someone wronged you, it's okay to talk about it. Um, if someone did something, it's okay to talk about it. There doesn't need to be that shame or guilt because that's not something that you need to hold for somebody else. That's on them. Um, and then you should be feel free to talk to a safe person about it. When her sister was a teenager, she was dating a boy who was affiliated with a gang and that had serious ramifications on her family and on Steph herself. I remember as well as my sister, um, she had a, a boyfriend who at the time wasn't gang affiliated and uh, my sister had to leave him. One time we go to this Togo's broad daylight and I see him in the back. So we sit down and then this guy, he has another friend with him and they're all wearing like gang affiliated colors, have bandanas on. And I see this guy, his friend apparently with a knife wrapped in a bandana. And my dad was facing the exit so he couldn't see who was coming in and out of the doors and they were essentially going to stab him in the back while we were sitting down. Um, but I instantly screamed, like I started to scream, said he had a knife and I told my dad, like, stand up. I don't even know how I did that. I was like maybe eight or nine. My dad stood up. He's a very big guy. And so the guy got scared and ran to the bathroom and then we had to run. Um, and we had to call the police and I just felt you know, during those times, like that was kind of normal. Um, even though it was scary, it was just like, that's something that no one even talked to me after that. It was like, okay, they happened. Now we're okay. It was just like, okay, one, one thing under the rug and now we have to move on. So it was never discussed. It was never like, Hey, that's not right. That's not okay. It was like, okay, well we survived that. What's the next thing? Some of the violence Stephanie witnessed was derived from her mother's volatile relationship with her alcoholic boyfriend. Not wanting to be around the volatility ultimately forced Stephanie to make the decision to move in with her sister, a much safer and more functional home. Probably around the age of maybe 11 or 12, like when I was in sixth grade, um, I was with my mom and her boyfriend and my sister and uh, my ex-brother-in-law, who at the time was my sister's boyfriend. and. I felt it was pretty good. I had no issues. I went to school. Um, I had friends. I never really felt um, any depression or anxiety. I felt good about life. And then suddenly my mom and her boyfriend got into an argument and she kicked him out, which in hindsight I was very happy about because he wasn't going to be around and it was just be my mom and I and my sister, which was ideal. So then I would... Um, go to school and walk to school. One day I came back and I actually saw him in the living room sitting with my mom. I was like, mom, what's he doing here? Like, why is your, why is Les here? I don't understand. And she essentially was like, well, he's living here now and you don't really have a choice. And I just felt like that was really not like her. Um, it was not the person that I knew and loved. Um, and she told me that if I didn't like it, I can move out. 
and that meant with my father who at the time I didn't want to live with as well because I didn't have the greatest relationship with my stepmother or step-siblings and I felt like that was added chaos and added dysfunction that I didn't want and then my sister at the time I want to say she was in maybe 21 or younger but she was an adult um, she said well hi I was talking to my boyfriend who was my who's my ex-brother-in-law now um, I was thinking maybe we could get an apartment and if you want to live with us and I instantly said yes uh, that was my first instinct because my sister and I like always had Especially when I was younger, a really close relationship. She's always was the person who defended me um, against anybody or anything, always provided for me in many ways. I would always hang out with her and her friends. She would take me everywhere. So I, I felt like she was a safety net. And of course I said yes. Stephanie found moving in with her sister to be a very positive and safe option. This was despite having to uproot her entire life as she knew it. This included sleeping on the floor, switching schools, but also discovering basketball, which became her escape. Through basketball, she learned many valuable lessons while gaining self-esteem. Um, so I ended up moving in with her. My parents signed um, legal guardianship over to her. My, um, I still call him brother-in-law, so I'm gonna call him brother-in-law. Um, and I started living, living with them um, while I was in sixth grade. So I had to move school, I had to move home, and them being so young, um, we moved into a two-bedroom apartment, and we really had no furniture. Like, I had an inflatable mattress, they slept on the floor, we had no nothing, um, essentially, but I felt comfortable with that, because I'm like, at least we're safe. So I did feel safe, um, they would take me to school, um, and then they would ask me, what do you really want to do? So for some time, since they, um, maybe of 10, I was playing the violin. So I would do summer strings and they would take me to those classes and really help me along the way to, which I thought was my passion was to play the violin. So they were helping me go to those classes and assisting me and doing whatever they can. And then in seventh grade, I decided, oh, I wanted to actually play sports because I would always play during my recess with mostly boys, not with girls. And I'd play basketball and I never knew anything about it, but I knew I wanted to try. So in seventh grade, uh, my sister was said, hey, why don't you try out for the team? I was like, well, I don't think I could ever make it. These people probably have experience. They know what they're doing. Um, and so she let me know, well, I played in middle school and high school, and I could show you a few things, and you could just go from there. So it just happened one day we went to a park uh, with my brother-in-law and my sister, and I'm like, hey, we're going to show you how to shoot. We're going to show you how to dribble. We're going to show you how to do all these things. And you're going to try out for the team. So then I ended up doing that with them several weekends for a couple months. Tried out for the team. And I ended up making the team. And then the coach was telling my sister, and I'm like, hey, I think she's going to be a starter. And they're like, how is that possible? She's never played basketball. We just barely are teaching her. And he's like, well, I think she's really good. So it really helped my self-esteem during those times where I was in transition living in a new home, new family system, um, and a new school. So I felt like, oh, this is like where I'm going to shine. This is where I can grow. So basketball was really a good outlet for me. So that's when I started playing and finding my passion for competition and also just to for self-improvement. I felt like every time 
um, when you practice, you go to a game, you have reflection. And I feel like you reflect with the coaches and individually on like, what did you do well? What can you work on? Um, and what can you do to improve? So I feel like I even use those type of mentality now with my life, whether it's me transitioning to a new job or even relationships or friendships um, that maybe went well or didn't go well, um, kind of reflecting on what went what did I do? What was my part? What can I do differently? And also take responsibility for maybe what I did or did not do. So I feel like basketball for me um, helped me even utilize these tools as an adult. Once Stephanie found her passion, she was invited to spend time with her basketball teammates. But it was at that time she discovered her abandonment issues. Thus, she was afraid to commit to a closer relationship with anyone. Then I started doing some traveling teams. Um, and I started becoming part of these teams, traveling, meeting new peers. But I also had a lot of um, trust issues in the sense of not wanting to even make friends. I never really wanted to engage with peers outside of basketball or outside of school because I felt like you know, my parents left me. So of course these friends are gonna leave me eventually and I don't wanna invest time or energy into this. I just wanna invest time and energy into what's safe. So I wouldn't even meet with maybe my classmates after school or during the weekends, or I would never go to parties or birthdays or anything like that. I mostly just stayed with my sister and my brother-in-law. I would go to practice, do my homework and come home. And for me, that was what helped me stay safe. Um, but then it also isolated me from my peers outside of those two entities. I really had a hard time socializing with others and really having that confidence to meet new people. Um, but basketball also helped me along the way because it, it forces me, it, it forced me at the time to actually meet new people, be open and conversate with others, even if I didn't want to, you kind of were forced to. During her junior year of high school, Stephanie started attending church and church youth groups on a regular basis. But then I started to attend um, Christian church in high school, like my junior year. I just felt like our family as a whole always believed in God, but never really went to church and never really prayed and never did anything like that. Um, but I just felt like, hey, I want to go to church one day. Like, I really want to be involved in another community. And so I want to attend the youth group, go to church, um, be part of something. And I felt like that's when really another pivotal moment in my life where I felt, hey, I have something higher, I have a higher calling, a bigger purpose, and I know who I am. So I started to find my identity um, in God. So I started going to youth groups, engaging with other peers, um, and stepping out of my comfort zone. And I felt like it was something really good for me, um, besides just having athletics. Things were going pretty well for Stephanie in high school and at her new church. Stephanie started to turn her sights to the future and attending college. So I started going to church and um, I was trying really hard, you know, I wanted to get a scholarship, I wanted to play college basketball and like that's ideally I feel was always the the point was my sister and my brother like, we don't have money to ever pay for your college so um, you have to play basketball or you have to do something because we can't pay for you. And being a first generation college student, like that was something I always wanted to do was I wanted to go to college and further my education and have that opportunity that the rest of my family members haven't had. Stephanie is the first person in her family to attend college. She used church and basketball to get there. It was through a church contact that things really began to come together and she was able to attend Bethany University. 
And one time, one of the youth pastors was like, hey, I heard you play basketball. I was like, yes. And he never saw me play. He never knew anything other than I played basketball. He was like, hey, well, I know the school is close by. And um, I'm thinking, like, if you're pretty good, you can, I could talk to the coaches there and try to get you a scholarship so you can go to school. And I was like, how is that possible? They're like, yeah, they're going to come down. They can meet you. So he ended up um, kind of getting me um, to meet one of the coaches and staff from this university. And I ended up going on tour of the campus, meeting my fellow um, teammates and meeting some of the professors. And it was a really small campus. There were probably maybe 400 students. And I felt like that was good for me in the beginning since I didn't really have um, social... I feel like I did have social skills, but I was very nervous to get with new people. So I felt having a smaller environment was best. And incorporating my faith and incorporating basketball to me felt like, oh, it was a win-win situation. They had church. um, They had church classes. And um, also other classes like psychology and biology and the regular classes that a university offers. At Bethany University, Stephanie was really flourishing as a college student athlete. She was performing well in the gymnasium and in the classroom. But very poor team dynamics forced Stephanie to make the difficult decision to stop playing basketball. So after that, I quit. I didn't come back to play the next year, but I really prayed about it. I said, I want to try just being a student, see what opportunities can arise. And I was able to get financial aid and other resources to pay for the second year. Um, And it was quite expensive because it was a private school, but I was able to get it covered. Even though Stephanie really needed the basketball scholarship, she took a risk and found a way to attend college without the negativity of the basketball program. She found that she loved the experience and ultimately she discovered she wanted more than the small school could provide and she decided to transfer schools. This college change helped Stephanie find her life's passion, social work. And I really loved it. I really loved being a student and got to meet other peers that weren't into sports and just kind of see a whole different world out there essentially because I felt like I was really enclosed into like one type of group. and I just really enjoyed it. But then after a while, I knew that I didn't want to um, major in like seminary, which would be like become a pastor. And that's what the school specialty was. So I said, you know, I want to really um, venture off and go to a new area and push myself and challenge myself to be somewhere new with no family, no friends, um, and just discover what else is out there. So I applied to several schools and I decided on San Diego State. And that was my favorite, like my first choice. And I went out there and it was great. It was like one of the greatest times I had. I felt I was able to build a network out there of close friends that I still in contact with now and um, really focus on school um, and see what other skill sets I have other than just basketball. So I was able to become an RA, so I was a resident advisor for several years to pay for my housing. I was able to get all my school paid for so I didn't have to pay for anything there. The school had like about that time 36,000 students. So I felt like I was able to just really challenge myself in many facets. And I felt like that was very helpful for me um, to know that I could overcome. So I came from the small school, isolating, never wanted to talk to anybody, to this really large school where I became very social, started to um, be part of groups, advocate, and really found my passion um, to serve in mental health. 
Although Stephanie found moving to a new city very daunting, she did it anyway, and this risk proved very rewarding and life-changing for her. That was another challenge, um, living in another city with no friends, and my closest family member lived in Long Beach, and that's still kind of far from inner city Los Angeles, and living in an area that is full of crime, um, pretty unsafe. I lived in Pico Union, which is kind of by South Central. It's like a Latin impoverished community full of um, gang violence. But it was the only thing I could literally afford. I could, we could only afford about $700 a studio. Plus I had school to pay for and all these other things. So I was like, you know, I have to do with whatever means I have. And, um, and so I felt like I many times I had to be fearless. So I had to just be in these communities, live alone, figure things out um and just manage because I knew that I had a goal in mind um to achieve my master's degree in social work and I had to complete it so I started to um go to school live in the community and really actually enjoy it and really love exploring new things alone and that was another piece where I never could be alone ever since I was very young I either had the fear of um building new relationships and them not lasting or just the fear of always being alone. Like I'll be neglected and I'll just be alone forever. So having this opportunity to actually be alone in Los Angeles in these neighborhoods was something new for me. Um, Cause even when I went to San Diego, I lived on campus. It was easy to make friends. Um, but when you're a grad student living outside of campus um, with mostly in the community, families, single mothers and children, it's hard to meet other people. So I was really alone from many of the time that I was there alone in my apartment, alone commuting, alone trying to find supermarkets or thing, areas to go shopping. And But I really enjoyed those times. I felt like it gave me more confidence to like eat alone, go to a movie alone, go to a play alone, just do things for myself and know that I'm going to be safe and that I'm going to be all right. Um, so I was able to actually explore new things that I probably would have never have, but taking that leap of faith, knowing that I had these skills within me to essentially survive and make it um, kept me going. Stephanie was at USC for two years working on her master's degree, but moreover, she is working to serve and help heal the underserved in the city of Los Angeles. Um, And then my last year, I really wanted to be part of uh, advocacy, making a difference in the community, knowing that Los Angeles was the number one city for homelessness. There was so much crime, um, so much poverty, lack of resources. Uh, and thinking, you know, Los Angeles, Hollywood, a lot of people have a misconception that, oh, they have so much money, there's so much wealth, but it's not equally divided. Um, so I really wanted to be a part of a movement to help others. So I did some fellowships as a community organizer in Los Angeles to help Carwacheros. So individuals who would work at car washes without fair wages or equal pay or not even getting paid at all and um, working in areas where there was factories and going into the factories and talking to these workers and seeing the conditions and dressing in their attire and know that it's like below, I don't know, maybe like 20 degrees in there and all they give them is just like one shirt to cut chicken, for example, and I was like freezing in there and just to kind of immerse myself in that. Um, community in that setting and that workspace helped me to have more empathy of like even when I pick up my chicken from the grocery store like someone had to prepare that someone had to like be in this working condition and working environment 
Like I just didn't arrive at a safe way. It's, it took a lot of effort for someone to even get out of bed and, and do that for me. So I, I felt like I was able to really advocate with other union laborers and um, help make a positive impact in Los Angeles. Stephanie is first-generation college graduate and the only one in her family to earn a master's degree. From self-doubt to accepting encouragement, Stephanie not only earned her master's degree, but she also did so with honors. Stephanie earned her distinction not only because she had mostly A's throughout her whole entire coursework, but also because she intrinsically served her community. I had almost a four point out got one A minus the whole, the two years I was there. And then I got another award called uh, Order of Arte. So about, I think a hundred US, USC students in general, undergrad and grad school students get a special award ceremony and award for being a community advocate and serving the USC community. And I ended up getting that award as well, just because I was really trying to advocate for students, really wanting to make it a better place for everyone, even outside of the community, even in Los Angeles. After achieving her master's degree, Stephanie decided it was time she returned to her roots. She had conquered her academic goals and she thought she had control over her anxiety. That was until she returned home. Stephanie realized she had matured and evolved, but her family members had not. The reality of this triggered Stephanie emotionally. When seeking counseling, Stephanie gained much insight. Most helpful was learning to set boundaries with her family members and gaining balance in all aspects of her adult life. And after graduation, I really wanted to stay in Los Angeles, but then I was torn to come back um, to San Jose, like the Bay Area, because my family was still here and I was gone for about six years, um, accomplishing my goals, the things that I felt like I wanted to do. and. During those times, I felt like I really didn't um, have like, any sign of like depression or sadness or anything like that other than I missed my mom a lot. Um, but I felt like I never had like mental health issues per se. Like I never had anything where I was like, man, I have, I'm affected by this trauma or I'm affected by this or that. And I felt like I was gone from the trauma, which was my family. I was away from all of that. Uh, but I was like, you know, mom, I'm ready to come back. I'm ready to be around my family again. And being that far away from your family for so long, they don't let you know all the family issues or the details. And I never got to witness any, of, you know, any of the issues firsthand because when I would come home for Christmas, they would be on their best behavior and nothing would, no problems would ensue. And then um, when I ended up moving back, I instantly got triggered. Like, wow, my family is still the same, like, six years later. Like, as I evolved and, grow, and grew into a young woman, I felt like, man, like, I, I would hope my family would do that, too. And that did not happen. And so I was quite disappointed, really sad about it, and felt really triggered. And I felt like the young Stephanie again, the one that um, didn't have support or no one could relate to her. So I ended up seeking a counselor who I saw when I was younger and... Um, just talking talking about these things and learning how to set boundaries and limits, I felt like that was the biggest theme for myself is how to advocate for yourself, um, self-care, which means that sometimes you might have to do something that other people don't agree with, but if that's what you need to do for yourself, 
then you need to do it. Um, telling my family, no, I can't do this for you. I can't drop everything. Um, and basically neglect my own needs to fulfill your needs. Um, so throughout therapy, I felt I was able to gain those tools and constantly reinforce them. And I felt very uncomfortable oftentimes saying, no, I was very the yes woman. Yes, I'll do this. Sure, I'll do this. Even though inside I'd be like burning, like with anger, like why would you even ask me? That's inappropriate. You shouldn't even be telling me these things and I'll get so mad, but like not to them. But internally, I would just hold a lot of things in and maybe lash out to different people in my life, whether it was my mother or my boyfriend and, you know, certain people, which they didn't deserve that. But I was just holding all these emotions in from saying yes all the time and neglecting myself. So finally, I learned to have limits and say no and that it's okay and or even offer different options like, okay, well, I can't do this, but maybe I could offer this in a couple of days. And if they got upset with it and they didn't like it, then that was on them and it wasn't my responsibility for how they reacted or their emotions or how they took it. So having to do that, I did that for several years and it now it's easier um, it became easier, like my therapist said, you know, in the beginning to be really hard and you're not going to like it, but it becomes easier over time. Today, Stephanie is working in the mental health industry. She has had many unfortunate life circumstances, and that is exactly how she helps others. She uses her empathy and compassion to serve others. She also has used her life experiences to grow into a forgiving and loving person. And so that's what I do now. I work in mental health um, as a clinician, and that's what I always felt called to do ever since I was a child. Um, I also was seen by a therapist who really made a huge impact in my life. And um, so since high school, I felt that I wanted to be a counselor so that I could make a difference in adolescents and young adults' lives, knowing that they could overcome. And um, even though they might have trauma or seen things or witnessed things or experienced things that they felt like maybe weren't fair or wasn't deserved that um, they could still become who they are meant to be and I feel like that's who I am that's who I live to be like to be a model to advocate to know that even though you saw family dysfunction or violence or um, maybe abandonment and maybe your parents or family members weren't there emotionally or mentally and perhaps didn't have the capacity to because they had their own stressors that you can still be who you who you want to be, who you could still tap into those other skill sets and you could use those maybe perhaps negative experiences for good. So now I see these experiences as some, something that shaped me, something that has made me who I am so I could have empathy. So when I serve others, I, I could relate or understand where they're coming from or even be more open-minded and curious to know that, hey, if someone maybe says this one thing, I maybe should ask further to explore because this could be another possibility because I maybe witnessed it firsthand. Stephanie has been able to heal the relationship with her mom and has a very close relationship with her now. She has also learned how to forgive and move forward. We have a great relationship and I think it started off based off forgiveness. I would always pray and ask for God to give me the strength to forgive others, um, even if they don't ask for forgiveness or take accountability. So to this day, I could say like my mother and my father never asked for forgiveness never have apologized or taken accountability, but I know that they did the best that they could with what they had. And 
So I just need to forgive and continue to love and respect them and just to maintain a positive relationship. And that's why I feel like I've been able to have such great relationships with people in general because I know that we're all flawed and we're not perfect. But if we're able to forgive, um, it just forgiveness is more for yourself so that you could just, you know, know and let go and just be like, hey, like I want this person in my life and we're going to work towards a relationship and all I could do is my part. I can't really control or focus on what they did or didn't do. From her innumerate family struggles, Stephanie has gained many life lessons and coping strategies to deal with her life's ups and downs. She shares with us how she uses I am statements to accomplish her goals. One of my coping strategies that I utilized for several years that has helped me overcome even daily battles within myself or at work doing and this is what my boyfriend and my therapist have inspired me to do is write I am statements. So when I feel down or I have self-doubts, I literally write like I am statements um, about myself. So I said, or even things that I would want in my life that maybe haven't come to pass, but knowing that, hey, like I want to have this, um, I even say that about myself as if it's the reality for me. So um I pray that I'll have financial freedom, which means for me that I won't have any more student loan debts. So I'll have financial freedom. I am blessed. I'm saved by grace. I'm smart. I'm strong. I'm a fighter. I'm intelligent. I'm calm. So those times when I didn't feel calm, I have to remind myself I'm calm. I'm patient. I'm kind. I'm loving. I'm non-judgmental. I'm saved. I'm thankful. I'm safe and I'm secure. So those were the things that throughout my life has been an ongoing theme of safety and security. So I always remind myself that I'm safe, I'm secure, I'm beautiful, I'm happy, I'm joyful, I'm strong, I'm a go-getter, I'm loved, I'm accepted. I said, I'm a change agent, I'm a gift, I'm a child of God, I am gifted. Um, and I even put things, like I said, like for the future. So I one day I want to be a wife, one day I want to be a mother. So... But I, I am a wife, I'm a great mother, I'm inspirational. Um, and so I feel like that's a part of my resiliency is just to kind of have that positive self-talk, remind myself of everything that I am, everything I want to be, but saying it as if this is already a part of me because I already have it within me. Um, so I've had a lot of trauma, I've witnessed many things in my childhood, throughout my life, but I felt like I've been using these opportunities for good to either motivate others, motivate myself, and to really have empathy and to love on people who at times you feel like, oh, they're really hard to love. If you ask Stephanie, she would admit she has spent far too much time worrying about what she has lost. But Stephanie would also admit she doesn't make that mistake anymore. Stephanie lives her life to the fullest. She is a caring and giving person. She dedicates her life to serving the underserved, listening and forgiving, but moreover, loving even the very people who once were surrounding her with hate and despair. Stephanie grew up in a very toxic environment. Nevertheless, she has persisted to make the world a better place for everyone to experience love and happiness. Stephanie, thanks for showing us how.
to further support the work that Stephanie's doing, please visit Alexian Homeless Clinic, Next Door Solutions, and Dignity of Wheels. This episode was engineered and produced by Elizabeth Stanley and Karen Castro. We want to thank our contributors, Hunter Lewis and Robert Stanley for theme music, Danny Burns for transition music, Justice Stanley for web and social media content, Jasmine Smith for web design, Caprice Hall for graphic artwork, and our sponsors, Solid Lotion Bars and the JEI Learning Center. If you wish to find us, you can find us at www.podsavetherestofus.com as well as on Instagram at podsavetherestofus. You can also find us on Twitter at Save the Rest of Us. We'd like to remind you to please subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for tuning in.